Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Back to the program. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is Live Mike, episode 31 today. Uh, I'm anxious to have this next conversation. It illustrates a few things. First and foremost, as you sit and watch all the 24-hour news coverage or you pick it up on our live stream here at KSL, you'll see that the... Uh, impeachment proceedings are underway. And if you have been paying close enough attention, you certainly know, too, that it is under the uh, direction of Chief Justice John Roberts that these proceedings are being carried out. Now, uh, that is not to say uh, that what's going on across the street of the Supreme Court comes to a halt. No, in fact, uh, decisions are being shared. Uh, it was just last week we heard that there were oral, oral arguments uh, delivered. The work continues at the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, the, the work continues in Congress as well. And we're later in the program going to speak with Representative uh, Mick Adams, who was on the floor of the United States House of Representatives uh, just yesterday. A measure of his uh, passed the floor. We're going to talk to him and, and learn all about uh, his efforts there on the floor. Uh, but for this segment, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court. There was a, a ruling uh, let down just yesterday that makes it uh, essentially it redefines uh, this term. We're going to talk more about in a moment. Uh, public charge. Let's say you are uh, an immigrant seeking uh, per- permanent residency here in the United States. You need a, a green card. If you uh, present with uh, certain circumstances that uh, could be defined as. Uh, reliance on the government. Maybe you uh, are going to need uh, to rely on, say, food stamps or things like that. You are deemed a public charge, and a public charge is then prevented from uh, accessing a, a green card. That is the broad stroke, and that's my layman's understanding of things. Uh, an expert here in studio is attorney Aaron Tarrant. He's an attorney with the Immigrant Defenders Law Group. Uh, he got his undergrad down at Brigham Young University and then came up north, got himself a law degree at uh, University of Utah Council, I'm grateful to you for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. How did I do describing things? Was I in the uh, ballpark? Uh, you know what? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. You, you, you with the expertise, uh, why don't you describe it to us uh, and pick up or fill in the gaps that I left blank? Sure, sure. So, you know, this rule is, uh, first and foremost, very complicated, um, and it hasn't actually been implemented yet. Um, and that's kind of the scary thing, because what the Supreme Court just did in this decision was give uh, Donald Trump the green light to uh, pretty much determine 
who he thinks has got enough money to make it in this country. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. And it's scary because the rule opens up the discretionary determination for the government so broad and wide that we don't even know where it's going to go. Um, and the fallout has already begun. I've got clients who for months now, have uh, just because they're scared, haven't, you know, got their kids immunized or they haven't done school lunch or things like that, that people are just freaked out, uh, which is part of why I'm sure the administration did it. Well, but, why is that? Why, why the apprehension for immunizations and school lunch? Well, because the rule, um, you know, when it was proposed, it was enjoined. And, you know, we fought it in the courts for as long as we could. And so a lot of the public just didn't understand exactly what was going to be included in the final rule, what the courts were going to allow to go forward, what they weren't. And so out of an abundance of caution, people just freaked out and, and a lot of people just stopped you know, drawing public benefits that, that they are entitled to today and they were back then. And so in many aspects, uh, the administration's goal with this rule has largely already been achieved. And that is just to, you know, scare everybody. With your legal mind uh, and your legal expertise, would you walk us backwards from the, the genesis of this? How did uh, this question of uh, implementing a, a public charge test make its uh, make its way to the Supreme Court? Well, um, you know, it started w within the Trump administration, obviously. Stephen Miller's kind of the, um, the puppet master there when right. it comes to, uh, the, the immigration policies. I'm fascinated by process and procedure. So let's, <laughs> okay. what happened in the courts? Right. Well, it we'll was, get to Stephen Miller later. Sure. He's got sure. this new Israel plan I think we're going to look into <laughs> later in the program. Got it. Got it. Uh, so the the rule was proposed, and then um, you know, like many other policies, it was um, immediately challenged in various jurisdictions. Um, uh, several jurisdictions did issue injunctions. Um, it finally went to the circuit courts and then up to the Supreme Court. Um, and it's been pending there now for several months. And, you know, they just issued this, the decision there where they overturned the lower court and uh, essentially did away with the injunction. Um, and that's what gave the green light for the administration now to to impose the rule. So that's kind of a brief overview of how it got there. Pretty typical um, challenge where Trump proposes something, and he gets sued, uh, it goes up through the appellate courts, and then it ends up at the Supreme Court, and they have the final say. We'll get back to the specifics of this in a second, but uh, there was the, the opinion written by uh, Gorsuch um, uh where he talked about a new trend uh, in, in district courts where judges are ruling uh, on behalf of of groups larger than just the plaintiffs before them, where their rulings have broad sweeping impl implement, uh, ramifications. And uh, he argues that that is what happened in this instance, that they were plaintiffs in, in the original case. And uh, while you know the ruling was in their favor, it also impacted everyone else in their circumstances uh, too broad of a, of a ruling. What do you think about that? You know, I, I, uh, I respect Judge Gorsuch. I argued in front of him when he was at the 10th. And, um, but I disagree. I think 
think that the ability to have a lower judge issue a nationwide injunction on something is critical because if not, then what happens is the executive can come out with whatever he wants and it's valid law until it's challenged in every single jurisdiction. And that's just very difficult to do. Very expensive lawsuits fighting the government. You have to find the right plaintiffs, the right clients in each jurisdiction. And if you had to do that every single time that you know, Trump came up with an unconstitutional, you know, rule or action, then you essentially you'd never stop him. It would take forever for every jurisdiction to come out and say, no, this is illegal. So I disagree with Judge Gorsuch on that. Um, You know, others might have different opinions, but I actually think it's good that you can if you can run to one judge and say, hey, this is crazy. This is illegal. And the judge says, oh, my goodness, it is. Let's stop it nationwide until, you know, the Supreme Court or somebody else above me can can kind of sort it through. Sure. Uh, what? Uh, well, let me ask you this. You mentioned that you argued in front of Gorsuch in the tent. Oh, yes. What, what was that case? It was an immigration case, okay. actually, um, in, involving statutory interpretation. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's certain things about Gorsuch that I like. He yeah. doesn't like to give a lot of deference to the executive, but at the same time, He's got some positions that, uh, well, you know, uh, I disagree with. All right, fair enough. Uh, What's next? What do you anticipate happens next? I know that sometimes, like, looking into the future, uh, we get politics kind of uh, mixed into it. But what what do you think happens next here? Well, I think the administration goes forward and implements this. And unfortunately, we're expecting it to be implemented in the most brutal uh, way possible. Um, the rule is designed, the way it's set up is to give adjudicators uh, the broadest amount of discretion as possible. Um, you don't even have to have drawn public benefits in the past. They can just look at you and say, hmm, you've got too many kids and uh, you look like you're not going to be rich enough. So uh, we think you're going to be a public benefit and we deny you. And that's a scary thing. Because a public charge. A, a public charge. <clears throat> Meaning right? that you coming here uh, after receiving this green card would likely draw. Likely draw, right? I mean, and, and, it, and it's very broad. They can say, I mean, you've got too many kids or maybe some of your kids have potential to get sick. Uh, maybe they don't like your profession. That fits within the discretionary, the, the discretion that you're interpreting, right? There aren't like there aren't numbers of children that are like written out in, in the statute. Quite no, 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 no. But that's just sure. one of the broad factors sure. you can take into consideration: the person's health yeah. and you know the family member's health, their histories, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, somebody who's got too many kids. Or, or or the adjudicator thinks they've got too many kids or their job doesn't make enough, they could just say, hey, we think you're going to be a public charge in the future. And that's that's scary, being judged for something that you haven't even done yet. Aaron Tarrant, attorney with the Immigration Defenders Law Group. Grateful to you for, for getting us up to speed, setting us straight, letting us know uh, how you're seeing things. Grateful to you for coming in here in studio. Uh, thanks for having me. Hey, listen, in the next segment, we're going to talk about something interesting. It has to do with Elizabeth Warren. She is proposing uh, that folks, uh, their student debts be forgiven. Well, there's a father who saved up all his life to send his daughter to school. He walked up to her and said, hey, do I get a refund? I'll share with you what she said next here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. 
Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.